On today's episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, we'll be looking once again at the 101 Coaching Mistakes to Avoid by Thomas Leonard. Today we'll be looking at mistakes number 61 through 70. Let's go! You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level, while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Welcome back. I certainly hope you've been enjoying these 101 coaching mistakes to avoid as much as I have been, because... I have been, and I'm really amazed at the genius. I'm always amazed at the genius of Thomas Leonard. Um, boy, what a contribution he made to the coaching world, the coaching profession. So with no further ado, let's see what some of the things are he has for us today. Coaching mistake number 61. Thomas Leonard writes this. He writes, overpromising results to a client. You have no control over what your client will or won't achieve or solve, so you simply cannot promise any result at any time. It's safer slash better to say what other clients have gotten from your coaching or prompt the client for what they plan to get out of your coaching than to sell hard the results of your coaching. Under-promising has the client take more responsibility to their own success in coaching. So keep in mind, coaching is a co operative experience with you and your client. Um, Now, this being said, a lot of times people these days are basically kind of therapists who don't want to use the word therapy. So they call themselves coaches. So in that case, it's a slightly different relationship. My way of talking about coaching is it's a cooperative thing. We are we are playing this game together and I'm your coach and we're playing together. But it is a cooperative, creative approach to success or to exploring who they are or whatever it is that they're going for. It's a cooperative invention as we go. If you are a therapist, if you are saying, okay, I'm going to help you with your trauma or help you with your phobia or help you know, in, in a therapeutic way, then it's a, a different thing, perhaps. You might want to say, I can promise that I will help you with your phobia or your trauma or whatever it might be. That's up to you. Want to be careful with that either way. But the idea here is that if you overpromise the results to a client, then who's to blame for them not getting it at some point? It's you. And if you don't overpromise, in fact, if you perhaps underpromise, you know, then then that responsibility is where it belongs to be, which is in the hands of your client. Because ultimately, we're not here to fix people. We're here to help people become who they need to be, who they want to be in life. Right? So we are a conduit. We are a, an assistant. We are a, a catalyst for their changes, for what they're going to become. But they still have to do it. The idea, I think I mentioned last week, of being a Sherpa, you know, you're helping them, you're guiding them, you might maybe even will carry their suitcase, but they still got to do the walk, right? They still got to climb that mountain. You're not going to carry them up. That's not your job. So you can promise that you will do your best. You promise that you will use all of your experience and point to the success other clients have had. 
because that shows it can be done. All they need to do is apply the suggestions you make and the ideas that you come up with together, come up with together to make that happen. So don't overpromise results to your client. That would be a mistake. Mistake number 62 is talking about other coaches. Thomas writes two caveats here. First is gossiping, gossiping about other coaches. And the second is giving your opinion, negative or positive, about other coaches. It's best to steer clear of talking about other coaches. It's just not professional. And it will likely get back to the other coach. It's bad for the profession as well. I think it bears remembering that when Thomas Leonard wrote this, coaching was in its infancy. There were not very many coaches. There are scads. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the exact number. Trillions? Quadrillions? I don't know. Um, a lot? Many, many coaches out there today? And so, yeah, it's perhaps not as egregious as it was back then because there were so few of us uh, back then. But nevertheless, it still is bad for the profession. Um, you want to speak highly of the profession. You want to avoid talking about the topic, if possible, at all. And your job is to help them get to where they want to go. And perhaps also to help them get things they don't even know that they need. There's that discussion about, you know, giving what they want, giving them what they need. They want both, of course. But it is not your job to say, oh, yes, that coach did it wrong, or that coach is not ethical, or this coach or that coach. Just avoid the topic entirely. It's none of your business, none of their business. Your business is between you and your client, how to get them to where they want to go. That's it. So it would be a mistake to talk about other coaches. In fact, it would be mistake number 62. Mistake number 63 is not planting seeds for next coaching. Mistake number 63, not planting seeds for next coaching. Most clients come to a coach with a single goal or problem in mind and often end coaching when their goal or slash problem has been reached or solved. I'm always, he quotes, on the lookout, unquote, for new goals, skills, changes that I feel the client would love or benefit from. And I mention these often, way before the client is close to reaching the initial goal or solving the initial problem. Thomas continues, he says, this is good service. This is good service for them, as well as good selling for you. And yes, selling, it's sales, isn't it? Persuasion is sales. Nothing wrong with that. Whenever we're doing coaching, whenever we're doing stuff like this, we are persuading, we are selling people on the idea that there's possibilities in life, that they can do what they want to do. They're, we're selling them the idea that they are not stuck. We have to sell them on ideas that may be new to them. So there's a lot of persuasion, a lot of sales in everything we do. There's not a, uh, it's not a bad word, sales. It's not a bad word. So we are also mindful that we are in a business, aren't we? This is a business of ours. We are endeavoring to earn a living, helping people. That's a noble cause, in my mind. It is a noble thing to help people and to make money at the same time. It is called uh, enlightened self-interest. Enlightened self-interest means, yes, you have self-interest, but it's enlightened. You're helping people at the same time. And you truly 
are helping them just as much as a doctor or a, a dentist or, you know, medical professional helps their patients. You are helping your people, your clients. You're helping them. And so it makes sense to say, what else can I help you with? Yeah, it's very simple to say, oh, you want this? Here it is. Boom. You know, want a cup of coffee? There it is. Want your shoes fixed? There it is. Right? But, oh, by the way, now that we fixed your shoes, you know, you could use a new belt. And they can use a new belt. Right? It's not a lie. They need to take care of themselves. It's not just about fixing their shoes. Not just about fixing their teeth. You know, it's like, other things can be done as well. So, um, I won't tell you where my mind just went with a dentist, you know, what else the uh, dentist could upsell. But, um, you know, never mind. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I'm sorry. You have to think of that for yourself. any rate, for you, coaching, you want to plant seeds for your next coaching client. For me, I'll tell you something. A lot of people come to me for sleight of mouth work. Not a lot. Uh, half. A third. Many. It's quite a few, actually. Um, I, te I tend to have about 10 active coaching clients at a time, at a given time. And two to three of them, on, on average, have come to me because they want to get great at doing sleight of mouth in whatever profession they might be in. So that's fine. I'm happy to help people do that. You know, uh, uh, I, I believe sleight of mouth is a great thing. And I'd like to believe they can, you know, get that expertise from the book or from the tapes or the CDs, whatever that they've gotten. But some people think they need extra work. And and so I, I'm very, very happy to help them do that. You know, I really really give them, in a sense, private lessons for that. But then you have to ask the, the, the follow-up question. Why? What is this for? Why, why do you want to be persuasive? What is it that you want to get out of being persuasive? What will that give you? What will that give you? You keep asking this question is to get their real criteria. And what will that give you? And then they go like, wow, so you'd really want to be persuasive in a coaching setting. So maybe you want to learn some coaching skills or maybe you want to you know, learn some hypnosis. Or maybe you want to get in touch with your, you know, your deep, soft underbelly of who you really are in life. Maybe you're just, you know, going through the motions about um, being persuasive because it's not who you really are. Maybe it's not a question of you don't know the skills well enough, but there's a deeper calling that's calling you. Just a thought. Maybe not. Up to you. So you plant the seeds from the next coaching and not doing that does not benefit you and it does not benefit your client. You want to do that and not doing that would be a mistake. Don't do it. Coaching mistake number 64 is falling behind your client's needs. I think Thomas was on a little bit of a riff here tonight. It's a similar kind of notion, isn't it? Falling behind your client's needs. The primary reasons the primary reason clients fired the coach is because the coach falls behind the client. So it's better to be out in front of the client. Point out the next focus area. Ask big questions. Initiate stimulating discussions. Train the client on new skills. Gap the goal. Challenge the client's thinking or paradigm. So, yeah, yeah, I think he is kind of on a roll here, thinking that, you know, in the same, it's, it's very related, don't you think? I think it is very related to not planting seeds for the next coaching. So if you don't plant, if you, if you, 
if you don't not plant the seeds, then what are you doing? You're 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 getting ahead of the coach. So not falling behind your client's needs. There you go. So don't do that. So better to be out in front of the client by pointing out the next focus area, ask big questions, initiate stimulating discussions. And by the way, Thomas Leonard, it was all discussions. It was conversation. You know, it was all, all done on the phone. This is well before the Internet, or at least well before Zooming. Um, it was emails. They had that. But uh, if you wanted to talk to somebody, you made a phone call. That's how things worked back then, <laughs> 1990s. I don't know, were you alive back then? Anyway, I was. And um, that's when Thomas was working, and I learned from him. You called people. You spoke on the phone. And and you had stimulated conversations, and you brought things up, and you discussed things. It was that that coaching, you know, was. Coaching was talking, was discussing, having a conversation about things. Let's talk about that, you know. So that is what you want to do with your client. Have stimulating discussions. Train the client on new skills. Gap the goal. Challenge the client's thinking and paradigm. Coaching mistake number 65. Assuming client is ready for success. Humans have set points and ceilings about a lot of things. Love, money, happiness, success. You can work to move slash expand these set points, but do this directly as a specific focus with a client instead of assuming that they will do this on their own and that they'll be, quote, fine. Also, it's essential that you work with client for two to three weeks, helping the client to define what success means to them. Without this critical information, the value of coaching is quite low, even if highly effective. Isn't this an interesting one? I find this absolutely fascinating. Of all the 101, this is one of my favorites. Assuming the client is ready for success. We often, speaking for myself, but also every coach I've ever seen, we often assume things about our clients often assume that they're just like us and that they have similar values to what we have, etc. And sometimes we're just flat out wrong. So if we assume that a client is going to pay good money to you, to me, to us as coaches, for coaching, we will probably assume that they want success and that thus, therefore, they are ready for success. They may not be. Humans have set points and ceilings about a lot of things. Love, money, happiness, success. Trust me, I've been there myself. It's been hard over the years to, you know, raise my rates, as an example. You know, who who could pay more than $100 an hour? You know, it's 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 difficult to raise those rates. And then finally you do, and then you go like, Wow, nobody's complaining. I'm getting just as many, maybe even more clients than I had before. What the heck took me so long? But then you get a new set point, right? So, oh, now it's $200 an hour or whatever. It's it's like that for people. People have set points and ceilings about a lot of things. So you can work to move and expand these set points, but do it directly with your client instead of assuming that they will do this on their own and they'll be fine because they probably won't. You want to push them. 
This is your job, is to push them to help establish these new set points. And it is essential that you work with the client, he says, two to three weeks to help them define what success means to them. Means to them. We don't know. Don't assume that you know that there's, you know, that your definition of success is the same as theirs. People have vastly different experiences and expectations for what success means, definitions of what success means. Find out what this client is. Milton Erickson always said, or at least once he said it, and many people have quoted him, <laughs> the quote that I've heard a million times, maybe never from Erickson now that I think about it. But nevertheless, he, I'm pretty much sure, said that People are as individual as their own thumbprints, that patients are individuals. And you got to find out what is their definition of success, what their definition of happiness is. Find out. And Thomas is absolutely right when he says, without this critical information, the value of coaching is quite low, even if highly effective. What does that mean, even if highly effective? What? If it's highly effective, how can the value of it be quite low? Because we may not be getting them to where they want to go. We may be effectively guiding them to where we think they should go to. But what about what they need? What about what they really want? Help them get there. And then, of course, stay ahead of them. Go back to coaching mistake number 64. You know, st stay ahead of your f client's needs and point out the next focus area and, you know, plant seeds for the next coaching. Do those things. This is where it's on the roll. These are all working together. See how this is so cool? Wow. Okay, coaching mistake number 66, overprotecting your clients from life. Some coaches are so concerned about the clients failing that they don't encourage them to take risks. This holds clients back. Clients have gotten along fine before you came along. Point out the risks and help clients to reduce the risks, but encourage them to be engaged in life and in discovering slash creating new things because that's what it means to be human today. Now, this is a fascinating one because I don't think, I don't know if you hear this squeaking just by the way as an aside, I, I, I'm sitting in a kind of antique office chair. Mm, sounds like a really sad elephant. <laughs> I'm sorry. I will try to not wiggle, but that's what that sound is if you are hearing that. It's a lovely old antique with a nice little um, back lumbar support thing where they designed them in the 1890s, I'm guessing, but um, a little squeaky, sorry. It's all, it's wood. It's There's no cushioning on this. It's wood and metal, metal and wood. Anyway, so... Um, Coaching mistake number 66, overprotecting clients from life. When I say some coaches are so concerned with their clients failing that they don't encourage them to take risks, not that many coaches these days are in that category, but some are, so it's worth mentioning. Don't do this. Don't overprotect. Your clients are out there. They want to be. They want to be out there. They want to experience this. It requires risks. For many years, I would sign my letters. My my emails would had a, a set kind of, um, what do you call it when you sign off in a letter? Not a greeting, but the closing thing. I wrote, take care and take risks. 
both. You want both at the same time. Take care, take risk. I, I used to say just, hey, take care. Let's see you, take care. But then I changed it. I changed it to both take care slash take risks. Because it's important to do that in life. We need to take risks. We need to risk things. You know, uh, famous old quotes that I can't remember right now about, um, you know, the person getting up to bat. You know, it's like, at least get up to bat. Maybe you'll strike out, but you won't hit the ball out of the park unless you try, unless you get up there. Take that risk. You know, people who get to their deathbed and say, oh, at least I should have tried. You know, the regret is that they didn't try. So have your clients take risks and take care at the same time. Set them up so that they reduce the risks. So the risks are, you know, recognized. One of the best coaches coaches of all time in the world of basketball is a guy named Mike Krzyzewski. Uh, his name's Mike Krzyzewski. Oh, it starts with a K. Don't ask me how um, it works. But that's his name. He, he coached for the Duke, for Duke University men's basketball. Uh, he may still be coaching. He's also coached the men's Olympic team once or twice. Very successful coach. And one of the ways he coaches is he assesses as much as he can where their weaknesses are against their coming opponents. So say uh, Duke is going to play uh, UNC or UCLA or something. He will look at the other team and go like, okay, where are they going to beat us? Where could we fail against these guys? What are the problems here? What are the problems? He's looking for problems. It's not coaching. We don't look for problems. But yeah, it is coaching. Because if you look for those problems and then you guard against them, you make plans for how you're going to deal with that, that's smart. And it's worked really well for him in his coaching of basketball over the years. He's one of the winningest coaches of all time. He may be, in fact the winningest coach of all time. I'm not sure, but he's up there. He is up there. You can look it up. So take care, take risks. Jump out of airplanes, fine, sure, but make sure you've double and triple checked the parachute before you do so. Make sure you're going to be, you know, landing on land. <laughs> if you know you're landing, or, you know, check all these things out before you do that. But if it's what turns you on, and I'll tell you something, I've done it maybe three or four times. There is no bigger thrill that I've ever experienced than jumping out of an airplane. Because, you know, you understand the definition of commitment when you have just exited the airplane. There's just one way down. Um, but hopefully it's going to be a soft landing. So it is um, <laughs> the very definition of commitment. You are committed here. But that's fine. It's thrilling. It's wonderful. And you can have a gas doing it. it's just incredibly fun and make sure you have checked the shoots you know multiple times that you're safe once you've checked those risks you take take care and take risks and go for it that's what it means to be human don't overprotect your clients coaching mistake number 67 giving legal or investment advice this is both illegal and unethical so if you give legal or investment advice, that's a bad idea. It's a mistake. Every coach should have at least five. Uh, let me see. Every coach should have five legal and financial specialists to refer clients to. I don't have five legal or financial specialists to refer clients to, but I have a couple. And I can certainly say to them, go 
find a legal expert, find a financial expert. I, I have a, like, for instance, in my, um, when I do private sessions for hypnosis and private sessions for havening or other things, I have an intake form and it says, you know, this recognizes and I agree that, you know, Doug O'Brien never presented himself as a doctor or anything like that. So they, they sign this form. It's um, not a legal form. It sounds legal. It looks legal. I wrote it myself. I had a lawyer look at it and said, would this hold up in court? And he said, yeah, if they sign this, if they date that, absolutely. It shows that they are cognizant of what this arrangement is all about, and they will get into it. You know, if you if they sued you, you'd probably have to still go to court, but you've got this document. It's good. So I would never tell somebody else to use my document. I wrote the thing. But I'd tell them, say, get one of them documents, go to a lawyer. Here's one that works. But, you know, I work now on, on the phone with people in Zoom all over the world, literally. So um, what's right in New York is not going to be right even in the next state over. Certainly not going to be true in, you know, Bali or Greece or something, you know. So, but get legal advice that's pertinent and near you. So never, you, never give legal advice. Even if you've been there, even you know what you're talking about, you aren't licensed to do that. Never, ever give investment advice or even share how you handle your investments. You aren't licensed to do that. And you can certainly give advice and say, find somebody. Here's a guy. Here's a few guys. Here's a few people. Check out, you know, three of them. I, I got a lot of advice from uh, Susie Ormond. Susie Ormond's great. And she's got some great books and audible books and things you can listen to. Um, but even she says, if you find yourself, to, if you want to get a, a, a financial advisor, get at least three and vet them. You know, just look up their 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 their, their references. You know, just you can do that. You can look up the references online, see if they're licensed, see if there's any complaints. So she tells you how to do that. So that's good advice. You can give that sort of advice to go find at least three people and vet them online. But you're not the expert in these areas, legal or investment. So just do not do that. Coaching mistake number 68, criticizing your client. You can be honest and direct without being critical of your client. Clients like you are human and are doing the best they can even when they're not. And remember, it's their life, not yours. Better to make requests of your client and to challenge them to do something differently instead of criticizing them, their weaknesses or their choices. You can learn to be unconditionally constructive. So you are your client's advocate. It is a mistake to criticize them. You can say, whoa, that was not what we expected there, is it? What did we learn here? And have a discussion about things. Absolutely. You can have a very pointed discussion and, and, and say, well, what could we do better next time? One of the great things I learned from a man named Wyatt Whitsmall about coaching is that when you give constructive advice as a coach, you want to point out at least two things that they did well before you give any, you know, adjustments. So the way you might consider 
doing coaching is you might say, well, this was really good that you did that. And this was awesome that you did that. And you might consider trying this. Or you could say, this was really good. And this was awesome that you did that. And, and remember, not but, and, and I wonder if you ever considered this other choice. Or you could even go so far as you want to be so blunt about it. You could say, and, you know, to make it even better, you could try this. You might consider that, you know, so you want to be unconditionally constructive without going so far as to criticize your client. The, the presupposition from the world of NLP that people do the best they can with the resources they have should be alive in your thinking. People do the best they can with the resources they have available to them, right, at the given moment. And we can always do better. So, you know, unconditionally constructive. It's like you, you're going to be the best parent in a way for, for your coaching clients. You know, you you are being unconditionally constructive for them. You help them to become better versions of themselves. They will learn from their mistakes and you can help them do that. But don't be critical in that way. Separate the person from the behavior and the outcomes that they've achieved and help them become um, the person that they are and have better outcomes. Coaching mistake number 69. Avoiding underlying integrity problems. Avoiding underlying integrity problems. Thomas writes, clients might want your help to work on cool goals or urgent problems, but before you jump in, find out what else is going on that may be undermining, blocking, or limiting the client's life or potential for success. Point these out to the client and see if they will work concurrently on the underlying integrity stuff as well as the fun, cool, urgent stuff. Remember, when a client's needs are met and integrity is strong, results flow to the client. I'm just going to read that whole thing to you again so you don't have to back it up and listen to it a second time because it's really good. And I don't know if I have really much to say about it because it's really pretty uh, pretty rich in just what he says here. So let's read this whole thing again. Mistake number 69, avoiding underlying integrity problems. Clients may want your help to work on cool goals or urgent problems, but before you jump in, find out what else is going on that might be undermining, blocking, or limiting the client's life or potential for success. Point these out to the client and see if they will work concurrently on the underlying integrity stuff as well as the fun, cool, urgent stuff. Remember, when a client's needs are met and integrity is strong, results flow to the client. Now, there was an episode of the uh, Essential Coaching Skills podcast I did a number of weeks ago. I can't tell you what number it was, but it was telling stories. I was telling stories in it. And one of the stories that I told is about the um, the rainmaker. It's a Taoist story from Chinese Taoist philosophy. At least I believe it to be true. I learned it from uh, the world of Jungian psychology. And it goes something like this. There's a, a rainmaker. There's a, uh, a Chinese village that's having a terrible drought. 
And so they call for the services of a rainmaker. I'll tell the story real quick. It's a long story, but I'm going to sort of cut to the chase. So this guy finally comes. He says, uh, all I really need from you folks is just a, a, a cottage, a place to stay, even actually outside this the village um, proper, because this, this town is so out of touch with the Tao, I don't even want to be in it. The Tao is the Chinese philosophy of the right connection with nature, the right way of being. Um, so the story goes is this guy on the first day that he was set up in this cottage on the outskirts of town. First day, got up with the sun, swept the walk, gathered wood, made his tea, went to sleep with his son, got up the next day with the sun, same thing. Third day, did the same thing. Again, I'm making a long story short. Um, and on the fourth day, it rained. So the idea of the rain coming is is idea of flow, of getting into flow. Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, wonderful books, flow and finding flow, um, brilliant brilliant books. I think personally that finding flow is what we want. We like working. We don't, you know, life isn't about fun and just like going to the Disneyland every day. It would be not fun after a while. I think, I, I don't know, it's fun certainly when you go, but what do you want to do that every day? I think what we want, most people want, is to find flow, to find uh, a meaningful life that is just, you know, we, we're, we're loving what we do. As I record this podcast, it's it's going on 9 p.m. I'm sitting in my living room talking to you right now. This is great, you know. I'm I'm having fun in a funny sort of way. It's flow. So the idea of flow coming in this story is that he, the rainmaker in the story, he got up with a sunrise. He was the right relationship with nature. He he swept the walk. He cleaned. He gathered wood. He, it was, everything was kind of organic and moving from one, you know, thing to the next thing, the way that it was supposed to be. He went to sleep with the sun. He woke up with the sun. You know, same thing. It was the flow of his work and the flow of his stuff. And then the third day, the world responded. Then the rains came in the story, symbolizing that flow arrives in in the life. And of course, the town benefited from that. We want that. So when the, the your client is working on these cool goals and the urgent problems, it's like, okay, good. And let's see what's undermining, blocking, or limiting the client's life or potential for success. And see if you can do both. You know, get that fun, cool stuff. Okay. And get that underlying integrity stuff too. Because when they have it all together, when things are in the right relationship with nature, flow happens and success and things flow to the client. And the last coaching mistake we'll look at today is coaching mistake number 70, letting client chase pipe dreams, letting your client chase pipe dreams. Part of the coaching process is to help clients let go of the seductive goals slash pipe dreams that have been distracting or diverting them. Your first step is to distinguish between dreams and mere fantasies and help the client let go of the pipe dreams fantasy so that the space energy is freed up to achieve the goals that readily provide the quality of life the client deserves. So in the world of NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, there is a such thing that we call 
the well-formedness conditions of an outcome. Generally speaking, there are four well-formedness conditions. Some people teach five, and I've even seen six well-formedness conditions for an outcome. But basically, the four main ones are this, that the, the goal needs to be stated in the positive. So in other words, I, I want that, or I want that, not I don't want that thing. You know, it's fine if you don't want that thing. That's fine. It's good to know what you don't want. But you need to know what you do want. Where are you going? What's your target? What are you aiming for? What's your goal? So it needs to be stated in the positive. Number two, it needs to be sensory specific. So in other words, I want to be happy is not a sensory specific goal. I want sensory specific. How will you know when you've achieved happiness? Well, when I've done this, when I get that, when I feel this, you know. So it's sensory specific. See, hear, feel, taste, touch. Know what it is in concrete terms. Sensory specific. Number three, it needs to be self-initiated and maintained. And this is where a lot of the pipe dream stuff comes from. Self-initiated and maintained means that you can start it yourself. You can begin this process of accomplishing this goal and you can maintain the process. It's in your power to do this. If I have a pipe dream of saying, I want to play Carnegie Hall and... I don't know how to play instruments and you know I want to conduct the New York Philharmonic Orchestra and you know it's my pipe dream. Um <laughs> you can have your own. <laughs> but but it, you know that's just not going to happen but 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 maybe I could conduct an orchestra, maybe I could help uh, organize a uh, local chamber group or something like that, you know, I could get into doing that sort of thing, right? I could find something that's specific, sensory specific, self-initiated, maintained. I can make contacts. I can find people who are interested in having a local orchestra sort of thing. I could do that, right? So I can make that happen. And who knows? Maybe along the way, maybe uh, something might happen that I'd conduct a larger ensemble, maybe even something akin to, a, you know, New York Philharmonic, like a, I don't know, Albany Symphony or something. Who knows? I don't know. But that's the sort of thing. So it needs to be sensory civic, stated in the positive, self-initiated, maintained. And finally and lastly, the fourth of the four well-formedness conditions, it needs to be ecological. Ecological in this context means that it is, you know what the consequences are going to be. So if I, you know, suddenly start putting together an orchestra, what's the consequence of that? Well, I take a lot of time, take a lot of effort, take a lot of, um, you know, finding space and probably money to rent rehearsal space, et cetera, because nobody's going to do that for me, right? So there's consequences, consequences. You need to know what the consequences are. That's what ecology means. This ecology is, in fact, the study of consequences. So what will happen if you do this thing? What won't happen if you do this thing, Right. Who will you be with? Who won't you be with? Et cetera. These are, there are consequences to getting these things goal, um, getting these goals accomplished. So don't let your clients chase pipe dreams. Have them create well-formed goals that they can actually accomplish and move towards the quality of life that the client deserves. Help them to understand the difference. <laughs> just flashed on the uh, serenity prayer. And in, in a sense, there's truth. You know, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to tell the difference, I think is one of the 
masterpieces of the 20th century. I, that's a great prayer, even if there's a God or not. That's a great prayer because goodness knows we need to be able to make that distinction, get the strength, get the conviction, whatever, to tell to, to change the things you can change and the wisdom to tell the difference. Wow. And that's kind of similar to this. Pipe dreams, people can spend a lot of time chasing things that they will never accomplish. You need to help them accomplish things that they can. And who knows, maybe maybe you're wrong. Maybe they can't accomplish it down the road, but not yet and not by themselves. They need to be able to you know, create a place where they enlist other people in that as well. So find out what that really is so that they can accomplish the real meaningful things for their life and they can get the quality of life that they deserve. So that is client um, mistake number, coaching mistake number 70 to avoid from Thomas Leonard. And we have only 30 to go before we're done. 31, because it's 101 coaching mistakes to avoid. So isn't this fun? Can't you just hardly wait till next time? Me too. Thanks for tuning in. See you then. Bye for now. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for joining me. If you want any more information about today's show, please visit our website at www.essentialcoachingskills.com. Be sure to tune in again next week for our next episode and discover even more about the systems and the secrets that set the best apart.